Welcome to the intermission for Season 2 of Dawn of Dragons. Let's take a break to discuss the background of the season and where it came from at the table. Also answer a few questions about the game itself and offer a few tips and tricks to enhance your own tabletop game. Finally, I'll close with an actual play of the fastest run of the infamous module S1 Tomb of Horrors with Colton Jansen, who normally plays Scottmere, and J.D. Rose, who you haven't met her character yet, but coming soon. So I will warn you all before we get to that part at the end of this show. So if you ever want to run it as a player, you may want to skip it as it does reveal some of the surprises. I do want to take a moment to shout out to our latest patrons, Daniel Nichols and Corey Fouch, for joining our team of supporters and make it possible to put this show out to you. Every dollar goes into the show's production and improving its quality, so a big thank you to you both. This season, as discussed, starts with our first game in the city of Ellington. In our actual game, we went from playing that custom game in a day to playing a separate run of the original Ravenloft I-6 module. I actually converted the original to 5e before Curse of Strahd came out. <laughs> Go me. But towards the end of the conversion, I was doing my victory lap. I remembered House of Strahd from 2nd edition and did a quick Google to discover Expedition to Castle Ravenloft as well, which 3rd converts to 5th, so much easier. So, oh well, that was fun anyways. Jolene joined us for the run as Irina, actually. Uh, I made her a PC just to see what would happen as her story unfolded. Uh, we, we finished it, and we went into our Dawn of Dragons world, which, as I've mentioned before, had a lot of influence from the Dragonlance novels. Originally, I wanted to do a Dragonlance story, but I kept making things up that flew in the face of the original stories themselves and all the lore that had already been built for so many years. So finally, I decided to just make our own thing for a while. But when I looped the story back to the first game and they met up with the original party, we knew they needed to go get a great artifact. Well, I thought it would be a great opportunity to try out a new, freshly purchased 5e module out of the abyss. So starting in episode three this season, that's when I thought I'd give it a try. Well, those familiar with the module can tell I can't follow instructions. And though, without getting into specifics, as much of the backdrop and some of the encounters, but really the whole game traditional Underdark here has morphed into more of an underworld from Greek myth, almost another dimension altogether, a statement that will make more sense as we progress through the rest of the season. So now let's answer some recent questions. First one is from our latest patron, Corey. He asked, what point did you all decide to take the campaign and make it an audio drama? So I was keeping all my notes, and as we progressed, more players joined, or people came back from a break, and needed to be caught up with the story. Well, after a while, there were so many ties and so much detail spanning the sessions that I was rambling for 45 minutes, retelling the story every time someone would come in at the beginning, just to get people set and on the same page. I started to fear messing it up, so I started a blog. I, then I realized no one but me was really reading it or referring to it, so I needed something entertaining they could rely on. Nothing like going through a story arc and the reveal falls flat because the name revealed the players can't remember. So I tried something different. Being an old AV geek and actor, I thought I could 
just throw together a quick session recap as a one-person audio drama with only my voice. It was a lot of fun. I may throw it up on our Patreon for those curious. So then I was hit up by some old friends that told me I needed to make a full show on it. One of these was actually Asha Hall. Well, I looked at my blog entries and realized I had written these in a storybook format. Poor grammar, but a storybook format all the same. So I told the team, I'm going to do the prologue as the first three and grab some of our acting friends to help me flesh out the world, make it seem a little bit more entertaining. I told myself, if it takes off, yay. If not, well, I captured the first part for kicks, so I don't have to say that ever again. Well, it surprised me and it did. As far as I'm concerned, you listening right now is the show's success. It doesn't matter if it's 10 or 10,000. I'm just glad someone is enjoying our story as well. So I sometimes get asked some questions around the game itself and some of those tips and tricks that work at our table. Now, I'm in no way the wise old sage of tabletop gaming, but these are some of the questions and answers I've given recently for those to use or not use as you see fit. So how do you keep your players together for so long? Well, the easy answer to this is trust. And building trust doesn't just happen at the table. It comes from years of friendship and sharing experiences with each other throughout life. Uh, some good, some bad, some stressful, but all of which had elements of those crucible times in them. For those that may not be familiar, a crucible is that melting pot where you put metals or maybe chemicals and subject them to extremely high temperatures. Many times this is changing them into something completely different. But life and its experiences and those you are with act no differently. You take yourself and another person and put yourselves in a situation of high heat or pressure or both. You'll become a different person and you'll see things differently. This action itself doesn't have to be good or bad nor the results either, but you will be changed. And what you take with you can affect that. So with our table, I've been fortunate to be working with some of my closest friends and family that strengthens the bonds between all players and the game master. This also opens the game up for scenarios and what would you do that could be uncomfortable with people that you don't know. It also opens it up to better aha moments, such as the dark spirit of Benedict at the table with Cordelia in episode eight actually was played out like that at the table. Jolene as a player was genuinely surprised and horrified that she had to attack one of her most trusted allies and family members in that moral dilemma. For the dungeon master, game master, storytellers out there, whatever, how do I speed up combat? The classic one. So first, you need to identify there is a problem with the players. You, know, you don't have to flip the table and say, hey, John, why are you so slow? That doesn't help build trust. <laughs> so instead, provide the data and look at it together. Use a stopwatch in the first round, maybe. Uh, write down how long each person takes before it goes to the next player. Be open to the realization, too, that your 15th level necromancer fighting the party is the one that is holding things up. Now look at the times and think of a positive way to present it. I've made the observation we all took five minutes to decide what we were doing for each of us. So when you frame it, the, this is supposed to happen in six seconds. <laughs> Everyone easily agreed there was an issue. 
That's the key. Everyone has to agree there's an issue. Otherwise, regardless of what you do, they'll still stick to much of their old ways as possible. It's not wrong, it's just human nature. Then here's a few tricks to kind of throw at the problem. That's what it turns out to be. Let everyone know they have 20 seconds to commit on their action. Just the basic, the fight, dash, cast a spell, or dodge. And if they take too long, they just dodge. That's it, and you move on to the next person. They can ask two questions. This actually helps in normal narrative as well for large groups. See, if you roll a standing initiative for the whole session for everything but combat, that's the order you ask each person what they are doing. As part of this, they can ask you two questions about the environment, then move to the next person and ask what they're doing. Give everyone a note card to keep with their character. The only thing on it is those go-to actions in combat. Attacking with two weapons at the same time, or an attack and disengage combination, or whatever. You got a, a special on the, on the first of the initiative, or and those kinds of things, so you don't have to look them up all the time. You have kind of a playbook that you can go to. It helps to see the menu sometimes and know what to order, even when you know it's going to be the chicken salad. It's that same premise you know, from food service. With spellcasters, have them identify an offensive and a defensive go-to spell, especially like a cantrip where there's the rolls required next to it. Not too much time looking things up and bam, they just attack the closest enemy with a firebolt or cast mage armor on themselves. Um, helps players realize the value of preparing a little outside the game or better yet, between turns. On that note, one of my less experienced players asked me, I really want to be a better player. What do I need to do? Well, first off, no one's ever perfect. And if you are, you're playing the wrong game. This is a game that shines when you explore the flaws in the characters while celebrating their successes. But let's hit a few things I suggest to just spice things up. Instead of asking the game master, what do I see? Better yet, turn to a player and ask them, even if you don't know if they know. Challenge the game master to describe it to the player you put on the spot and see what happens. Great way to spark role play. And as you get to know each other, it brings me to the next point. Stop trying to roll everything yourself. Your paladin stumbles across a locked door. He wants to open it. Don't. Don't. Ask the rogue standing behind you to do it. Better yet, Eldrith Half-Moon, dost thou believe the door is locked, or worse, trapped by a nefarious evildoer? Can you assist me? ADM, can Eldrith get advantage or a better DC if I help? Many DMs would rule yes. The point is, help each other shine. Players took their mantles to stand out at something. Didn't say good at, as some may want to be the bard who can't sing or the slowest monk in the world. If that's your table, help serve it up to them, and hopefully they will return the favor when the opportunity arises. Share in the spotlight. Everyone should have a moment every session. Try to help make it happen. List everyone's character names at your side, and only refer to their characters by their names. Make a check next to those that get a moment, and try and help the others too as well as the game progresses. And here's one final tip. Never say, 
you can't do anything or there is nothing you can do. Because if all else fails, you can absolutely run. Running away to fight another day is one of the oldest story elements ever. Do it. Stop just standing up for things that you know you're going to die standing up to. And come back stronger to finish the job. Sounds like a thousand Hollywood movies or best-selling novels to me. Just needs a training montage. Now here's the final treat. We're ending with a recording of the fastest run of Tomb of Horrors I have ever had the pleasure of running. And I've run this adventure many times. This was done with two randomly generated PCs, just for the run and just for fun. And it took about two and a half hours before they met their end. This may have spoilers to those wishing to run this classic. So as of right now, you have been warned. Until next time, remember the oath. We have a... So you're a, a barred fighter. No, I mean a... Barbarian fighter. Barbarian fighter. Furball. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and JD, you, you have a tiefling... Paladin slash cleric. Paladin cleric. So... My background is bad reputation. No matter where I go, people are afraid of you due to your reputation. At the tavern or breaking down doors at local shops since most people will not report your activity due to the authorities. <laughs> wow. This is not you at all. No. <laughs> You're playing somebody completely different than all. That's awesome. So my little tiefling girl chose um, life domain. Hmm. This is the opposite of what you're used to. Yeah. <laughs> that's a normal building, by the way. <laughs> that's the classic place. I've always been like a necromancer, and so this is going to be different being like, I want to heal you and not turn things into zombies. That sounds terrifying. Exactly. You are a healer. Oh man, Thaumaturge is my cantrip. My go to is to make like dead gear and freak people out. Mm. Now I'm going to have to make butterfly. <laughs> So I found this god. I looked up most righteous deity in D and D. I found this guy named Torm. Torm. And he sounds so incredibly boring by my standards because he's like duty and obedience and loyalty. So I think he's gonna be my god. My goal in life is to make everybody see the good in life, and I think that you, sir, need my assistance. And she could be like the annoying thing. He's like because she probably helps talk him out of trouble. It's probably true. Like, they probably tagged him and was like, are you sure he broke the door, or was the door already broken? <laughs> All accounts conclude that it is quite unlikely that any explorers will ever find the chamber where the Demi-Lich lingers for the passages and rooms of the tomb are for all the traps, poison gases, magical protections, and other things that require a wisdom check. Oh no. <laughs> if we make it far. It's, uh, Five feet in wisdom check. Oh no. <laughs> Furthermore, only large and well prepared parties are the bravest, and if such a group does locate the tomb, they must be prepared to fail. Survival with your random jelly. <laughs> I'm brave, you're strong, I think we got this. And I'm large. Yeah. <laughs> to even the wisest of sages. Oh yeah, that's not for you. 
we are not the wisest of sages. <laughs> that's not for you. But, but that's we're it. pretty. <laughs> I feel like that was definitely somebody in a tavern like talking to us and both of us just kind of like uh, this is boring. <laughs> do we want to? Do we want to leave? And they're like, no, this is really important. Nah. <laughs> so you touch his nose. Nothing. Should I put my hand in the? Should well, I mean, I... we can like crawl in there. I don't. I'd rather put my hand in first than my entire body. Mm. Can you even fit in there? Am I gonna have to fit in there? No, I don't want to get eaten by the devil. Um, I feel like you should go big or go home. Bye. And you are big, so... Alright. I'm going to put my face in it. <laughs> Dear <laughs> God. <laughs> and and take a look about... We'll stare on yeah. in horror. Wait, I'm the one with so dark you vision. put your face in. <laughs> and you just see blackness. What do you... I'm gonna put my face next to his and use my dark vision to see what's up. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't see nothing. I think he's just his face and I'm like, wait, I'm the tiefling. And then I put my face next to his and I'm like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we randomly generate characters. That's true. We're not wise. <laughs> so, your characters are gone. And I'll explain why. <laughs> <laughs> The mouth opening <laughs> is a sphere of annihilation. Oh, no! <laughs> Plenty of room for those who wish to leap in and be completely and forever destroyed. <laughs> the character examines the mouth and exceeds. An arcana check. <laughs> if you would have examined it. <laughs> That's an intelligence check, by the way. <laughs> so the one we Not a wisdom check. Pass. But I wouldn't have been wise enough to check for it. <laughs> True. I identify that's what it is. I also think that we're very much mixing up wisdom that and intelligence. I'm just like, put your face in it. <laughs> I was waiting for a to put his hand, because he said he's going to put his hand in. I'm like, oh, this, wow. We don't want to see anybody try this. Oh, my God. But it's completely painless, right? So you just... Okay, so I, I can tell you the, what happened to everybody else. <laughs> Jess's mom was here.